Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to this. Nope, that's wrong. That's cor- incorrect. I'll, you know what? I, we should make a new rule that if you mess up the intro, I get to do the intro. <laughs> but that's not how it works. People will be so confused. Oh, yeah. How would they cope? Probably, probably our listening numbers would plummet as people would be rocked to their cores by the fact that I was doing the intro. All right, do it. Hello and welcome to Dear John and Hank. Or as I like to call it and is actually the name of the podcast, Dear Hank and John. It's a comedy podcast about death in which two brothers answer your questions, provide you with dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from Mars and da 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 AFC Wimbledon. Hank, usually in the podcast, this is where I would ask you how you're doing, but instead we are introducing a new segment in our podcast that we're both very excited about called... The elephant in the room. Every week, Hank and I are going to count to three and say what we think the elephant in the room is. Here we go, Hank. One, two, three. James Cohen. What did you say? (laughs) James Patterson? The author? No, I said James Madison. James (laughs) Madison, who is an author of the Federalist Papers. Last week, I said it was James Monroe. And 500,000 more people wrote in about this than listened to the podcast. (laughs) There was a campaign. Exactly. The whole James Madison subreddit got involved. There was a a change.org petition. It was a really extreme situation. I am deeply, deeply sorry for saying that James Monroe wrote some of the Federalist Papers. It is one of the most important embarrassing mistakes of my entire career right up there with saying that Benjamin Harrison was not an interesting president when we all know he was the most interesting and important president of all American (laughs) history. Hank, why is Michael Cohen the elephant in the room this week? I don't know. He's on like just a lot of people are talking about him on Twitter. Oh, yeah. He seems to he seems to be the elephant in the Twitter room. He's definitely a highly tweeted figure at the moment. He also has a Twitter, although I mean, if I were his lawyer, I would really recommend that he stop using it. (laughs) 
It seems like uh, it seems like necessarily it seems like a lot of the people involved in this uh, don't really love taking legal advice, including the lawyers. Yeah, increasingly, Hank, I really only have one piece of advice for the president, for his lawyer, for all of our listeners. Stop tweeting. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would love to take that advice, and I won't. John, do we have any questions from our <laughs> listeners this week? <laughs> this first question comes from Isaac, who writes, Dear John and Hank, one of my most prized possessions is the signed by Hank periodic table that I got as a Subbable wow. reward. Subbable was a company we started that was eventually merged with Patreon. I'm currently having a party, and someone pointed out to me that the table is now out of date, <laughs> as wait, many wait, of the wait, elements wait. have since been named. The idea that you're, my f- you're emailing us during your party? Yeah, I presume Wait, so. Do the party. No, we've got a lot of emails this week from people who are currently doing things. Uh, <laughs> that may be the theme of the week. Anyway, the idea that my favorite wall decoration is now inaccurate causes me minor and persistent psychic discomfort. It can't be that wow. persistent because you're currently at the party where this got pointed out. So it can't have been going on that long. <laughs> Possible solutions to this problem include reversing the naming decisions of the IUPAC to match my poster. I think we've hit it. I I think we've found the solution, there Isaac. Is. There it I'll, is. I'll just write write a letter. Alternately, reprinting the poster or stickers to add new and future elements. Any dubious advice would be appreciated, Isaac. Actually, Isaac, uh, we already reprinted the poster with the new elements. We did that with Thought Cafe. We we put it together. We thought about doing stickers, but it turned out that it was surprisingly weirdly hard to do sticker replacements for it. So we didn't do that. Though I still like the idea of doing a sticker pack of the elements that they created because it's real good. Um, so Isaac, what I'm gonna do for you is I'm gonna sign one of those, I'm gonna send it to you. Oh, um, that's very nice not, of you, Hank. I thought you were gonna, gonna be d- like, Isaac, what I would encourage you to do is buy a new one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm gonna, I, so what, here's, here's what's gonna happen, Isaac. Just give us your bank account number, your social security and your mother's maiden name and we'll make sure that everything's taken care of. <laughs> oh, you'll get a poster all right. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac, you're going to be buying a poster for the like every week for the rest of your life. It's just it's happened now. No, uh, I'll, I'll we'll get in touch with you. This offer does not necessarily uh, extend to all people who have a poster that is incomplete uh, because it was correct at the time of printing. But I do feel like uh, since there has been this this uh, persistent psychic discomfort that has lasted, as far as I can tell, through some period of a party. I do want to <laughs> do want to reach out to Isaac and and and, and uh, make that right. This next question is about ASC Wimbledon, John, and it comes from All Colleen. Right. Who asks, dear Hank and John, but I assume mostly John. I'm currently at an AFC Wimbledon game. These people are at things, waiting outside for the doors to open, and I'm extremely anxious. I'm a 20-year-old girl, and everyone here seems to be adult men. It's probably because uh, a guy asked me a question, and when he heard my American accent, he gave me a weird but negative look, and now I feel like I should go. My question is, how do you make yourself feel comfortable at a place where you feel you don't belong? Too stressed to feel blessed? Colleen. Well, anytime you're doing something for the first time, it's going to be weird, especially if you're entering into a culture that you don't necessarily necessarily know well. There are a lot of women at AFC Wimbledon games, but if you are in certain parts of the stadium, uh, it, it it can feel pretty m- male heavy. Um, and I'm sorry that you felt anxious. I hope that you ended up going to the game anyway. Based on when you sent this uh, question, I believe that you were at the game against Fleetwood, which, which AFC Wimbledon lost. So I'm sorry about that. But l- look, they've lost a lot of games this season, Colleen. So I hope that's a comfort <laughs> to you. Um, I, 
In general, Hank, when I am in Colleen's situation, I do exactly what Colleen did, which is I look at my phone and I try to yep. think of something to do with it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. I think that it's it's important to recognize that like this isn't a thing that isn't real. You know, obviously it only exists in our minds. It only exists in culture, but culture and our minds are very real things. And uh, and and that. Um, and that in our daily lives, we generally end up in places where we feel very comfortable. And that is very nice. It's like a really great position to be in. And then when you are in a place where you don't feel like you're part of the culture and you feel a little bit like, am I observing? Am I intruding? Do I belong here? Do these people think that I'm just watching them because I think they're weird? How do I how do I even interact in this social space? I don't understand any of the norms. And that, like having those experiences can be uh, at least a piece of information for you to help understand when other people are in situations like that in areas where you are comfortable. So that is a thing that happens to a lot of people. It happens to all of us sometimes, but I think that um, I, for one, am very lucky to not have that experience very often, but I think that a lot of people have it all the time. And I know that like there are, you know, there are a lot of refugees who live in, in Missoula who have been recently resettled. And I just think about that all the time with those families, how they are constantly in a situation where they don't really understand the norms, don't really understand, you know, the language in a lot of the cases. But, um, but even if they do that, you know, just like how does all of this work and what am I supposed to be doing and how do I interact with this culture is a constant stress. And um, so that's weirdly your experience at AFC Wimbledon game may give you some insight into other people's experiences. I do hope that once you got into the game, uh, my experience anyway, is that once you get into the game and you're sitting in the stadium, I know it was stressful walking in. My hope is that once you got into your seat, you had a really good time despite AFC Wimbledon losing and you were able to uh, enjoy the really high quality third tier English football <laughs> and that uh, it was fun please follow up and let me know how it went and don't go to a game for the rest of the season because you might be bad luck. <laughs> All right. This next question comes from Christina who writes, dear John and Hank, I'm a teacher and I was ordering books from my classroom while also pre-ordering Hank's new book, an absolutely remarkable thing, which comes out September 25th. Uh, Christina, you're crushing it with your question already. One of the books <laughs> from my classroom was also a pre-order. And I noticed that it is set to be released on the same day as Hank's book. This made me wonder, is that just a strange coincidence or is there an ideal day for books to be released each year that publishers shoot for? Also, I ordered all the books through Amazon Smile with the Foundation to Decrease World Suck as my chosen charity. Thank you for that, Christina, who signs off para aquí a considerar que a este estado has de llegar, which I'm sure is totally well-pronounced Portuguese on my part. Do you know what that sign-off means? Um, it says right here, it says, stop here and consider that you will reach this state too. So this chapel of bones where that quote comes from is a chapel <laughs> that is actually made out of human bones in oh Portugal. Uh, our parents visited there because, of course, when mom was yep. in Portugal, she wanted to see the chapel of bones. She's, you know, I come by it honestly. And <laughs> the translation that my mother gave me to this quote that has really stuck in my head so much that it was in the first three drafts of Turtles All the Way Down was... Here are the bones that wait for your bones. Oh, <laughs> that's not, I mean, I, from, the, from the little bit I know of Portuguese, that's nothing like what that says. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure mom, yeah, mom arted it up. Of course she did. 
Who can blame her? Who can blame her? Here, hello, I am a bone and I await your bones. I mean, I think that is such a beautiful quote, especially now that I think that mom came up with it. It's so, <laughs> I, I love that quote. These are the bones that wait for your bones. Like, I just, I, I, I really did. Like, I tried to, like, horn it in to Turtles All the Way Down. And finally, Julie was like, this just has nothing to do with the book. <laughs> They're young people and they're all healthy. They're fine. Anyway, my new book, These Are the Bones That Wait for Your Bones, will be out in 2021. (laughs) That's excellent. I like it. Uh, I'm very excited for your lovely bone book. Yes, as far as I know, September is a good time for books to come out because it gives them some time to be uh, thought and talked about before people buy each other books for Christmas. I think that's what's up. That is correct. Also, for some reason, there is a day of the week on which books come out. That day of the week is Tuesday, and it's very unusual for a book not to come out on a Tuesday. And so books tend to get congregated because hmm. there because there are only so many Tuesdays, especially there are only so many Tuesdays in the fall. And because of plurality of book buying happens in the last two months of the year, it makes hmm. sense to have your book be kind of in the cultural conversation during that period. Mm, interesting. I, John, since you're now like a big, super fancy, cool author and, and mm-hmm. you're, you're a big deal and all of that. I agree. How about yes. what if the next time when your book, The Bones Waiting for Your Bones Body Boy, <laughs> comes out, you're going to you say to your publisher, all right, now I know this is going to sound crazy. I know this is going to sound weird. I know this is going to upset you. Yeah. But let's do it on a Wednesday. Yeah, no, I did. I tried that with Turtles <laughs> All the Way Down. I said, I don't want to publish it on October 10th. I think that's a weird day. I want to publish it on October 12th on Thursday. <laughs> and Julie said, no. And I said, why not? It's the stupidest rule. And she was like, no, because if we say we're going to publish it on October 12th, everybody's going to open the boxes on Tuesday because that's when they open the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. I, I I have tried it and I failed, and I feel like my star is not rising. So I had my shot and I and I took it, and it didn't work. It's <laughs> great. This next question comes from Diana, who writes: Dear John and Hank, why are bricks stacked in walls the way they are? Why are they staggered? I always assumed it was a structural thing, but the walls at my college just have bricks all lined up. So what gives? We're all gonna die, Anna. That's oh, a really good name-specific sign-off. Dang good. John, it is so much more structurally sound to line the bricks up, to stagger the bricks. That's why bricks are always staggered. There's different staggerings that are sometimes used, but yep. occasionally, during like the 60s to the 80s, people mm-hmm. were like, you know, it would be cool, since we don't actually need these bricks for structural reasons, we mm-hmm. make them all lined up. Uh, right. So this is, these these bricks are not structural bricks. They are, they are a facade. facade. Uh, and if there's if they aren't, then there's something else going on. Because when you line them all up, like the mortar is the only thing holding them, them together in these stacks, and mortar the mortar is uh, less sturdy than the brick. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a facade, and it's just to look good, but it looks worse. 
I don't know if it looks worse, but it does look weird. So I recently, for reasons I can't even begin to get into, uh, found myself in a situation where I had to destroy a small brick structure so that I could (laughs) use those bricks to line a path that I cleared through my backyard because I've been spending a lot of time outside as a therapy strategy. Anyway, the one thing that I learned is that it is definitely way better to stagger bricks. Like, I'm not a mason, but... It's almost impossible to <laughs> yeah. take even like a hundred twenty year old building. It's hard to take apart uh, with with staggered bricks. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, there's a reason why bricks bricks work um, and why all brick buildings look the same ish. Um, in fact, you don't even need mortar. Uh, like for a long, like if you want your building to be up for a long time, of course you want to have mortar and it evens things out, but you can lay bricks together and just like do it and they will stay that way for an awful long time. Really? Well, I mean, if you come at it from the top and like push down from the top, yeah, but that that will, that will knock the, the wall down, but like they, they hold themselves in place. I don't know that I trust Hank's expertise on bricks, but I mean, what do I know? I'm somebody who thought James Monroe wrote some of the Federalist Papers. Yeah, no, I'm an expert on everything, John. All you got to do is say it loud enough. (laughs) Oh, man. That's a really good summary of the patriarchy. (laughs) This next question comes from Natalie, who asks, Dear Hank and John, since humans can be allergic to dogs, cats, horses, etc., can dogs, cats, horses, etc. also be allergic to humans? What happens... If you adopt a kitten and find out that it's allergic to you, serious dubious advice needed here. Believe me, Natalie. No. Whoa. That, Whoa. I mean, that's that's a Russian reversal on a level I have never yes. gotten my head around before. I am blown away by that. What can animals be allergic to humans? Yeah, they can, John. Really? Yeah, animals can have all of the same allergies that, that uh, and more that people have. Um, it is unusual for humans to be allergic to humans, though I think that that also can happen. It can be a fairly dangerous condition. Uh, but my cat is allergic to pollen, and like when the spring comes around, which is happening right now, she starts to like cough, and it's sad. But yeah, very rarely dogs and cats have been found to be allergic to human dander. And in, and in fact, also dogs have been found to be allergic to cat dander and cats allergic to dog dander. Um, so yes, it's a thing that can happen. It tends to happen a lot less frequently in dogs and cats than, than humans. And I think that your, your guess is as good as mine as to why that is. My guess is because humans are just bad at being organisms. We've, yeah. we've, taken, we've taken it too much into our own hands. Right. That's so true. I was trying to explain to Alice recently that humans are animals, mm-hmm. and she just will not buy it. <laughs> she's not having it. It's the Have dumbest. You seen us? It's the dumbest idea she's ever heard of. She's like, there. She's like, there's. No, she keeps being like, you're, you're kidding. You're being silly. And I'm like, no, we are. Humans are animals, Alice. Just stop being silly, Dad. And I'm like, no, I promise. I'm not kidding. Humans are animals. And she's like, we don't have hair. <laughs> you got to show her a hippo. I'm sorry. Back up. How would showing a hippo make Alice believe that humans are animals? Because they don't have hair. What are you talking about? Right. But they're, I mean, it, they're like, pink I don't and think- hairless like people. 
Yeah, we got that's a great idea. I'm going to show Alice a hippopotamus and I'm going to say, see, Alice, humans are clearly people. Here is our recent ancestor, a hippopotamus. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe start with the chimpanzee. I was uh, That might be a better case to make. Like, Alice, look at this chimpanzee. Do you see any relationship between that and yourself? Rather than Alice, as you can see from this hippopotamus, you are clearly an animal. <laughs> I mean, she. I th- I was going for her argument that we don't have fur, and so neither do hippos. All right, Hank, this next question comes from Dylan. It's a somewhat serious one. He writes, Dear John and Hank, my long-term girlfriend recently broke up with me, and after having something of a nervous breakdown, I found myself flying from my small liberal arts college in Ohio. I wonder if Dylan went to... <laughs> I wonder if Dylan goes to my college, to Seattle, Washington, for the weekend. This would not be so weird, except that I have never been to Seattle, have no friends or family in Seattle, and was not aware of having had any particularly strong inclination to visit (laughs) Seattle before the breakup. Mm -hmm. Now I found myself living in a hostel with two very friendly Australian snowboarders and a dog named Snappy, but I still don't know why I'm here. (laughs) Any insight would be helpful. Neglected to bring a raincoat, Dylan. Oh, gosh. Uh, Dylan, um, yeah, I... I think that you may have made a may may have made a, a perfectly rational decision. Honestly, sometimes you just need to to pick up and, and like look at world the world from a new place. Yeah, and don't stay in Seattle forever. Go back to college, but. But yeah, have a have a fresh perspective for a moment. Yeah, I think what you're what you're trying to do here, Dylan, is called the geographical cure, and it never works. But that hasn't stopped me from trying it over and over and over again. So I think it's great. Try the geographical cure. It's it's good for you. I remember after my big college breakup, Hank, I drove to Baltimore and I went to the Baltimore Museum of Art and I stood in front of all of these impressionist paintings at the Baltimore Museum of Art and just wept. And I'm sure mm. everybody thought I was so weird. And then I got back in my car and I drove back to college. I was I was yeah. gone for about a day and a half just walking around Baltimore feeling extremely lonely. And it sort of helped to just be in a completely new, different, weird, dislocated place that somehow reflected the sense of dislocation that I felt inside of me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It probably cost like 150 bucks in total, but, you know, cheaper than therapy. Yeah, I I don't I don't have any data on whether or not this actually can help can help uh, deal with grief, um, but I do uh, see a lot of people doing it, and I think that as long as it does not become sort of like a long term es- like escape, like like trying to ignore the fact that that anything ever happened and and try and reboot everything, I can't. It's not going to hurt to try and be like, okay, let's let's just let's go get a let's go get a fresh. Let's go hang out with a dog named Scrappy or Chappy or Flappy, whatever it was. Uh, uh, Those are all great dog names. (laughs) I think we might have just discovered Hank's secret superpower. (laughs) What? What? Give me me 20 good dog names right now. Go. Notebook. Jennifer. Pants. Yes. Alvin. Tambourine. Love it. (laughs) Candle. Manhole. Nope. You there? We got there. Nope. Okay. So it turns out it was looking really good for a minute, but it turns out Hank does not have a secret superpower that allows him to name dogs. Somebody sent me a picture of your dog manhole. <laughs> <laughs> so 
You're gonna have Literally. to name any animal in your house. If you get a new pet and you name it by manhole, I'll send no, you a free no. poster. That is, that is by far the worst dog name. <laughs> and like everything before that, Alvin is a great dog name. Pants is a great dog name. You were you were on such a roll. Even Candle is a great dog name because it doesn't make any sense. I love it. But then, I mean, you just went in the worst possible direction. <laughs> oh, man. It's bad. I got that made me that made me very nervous, John. I started to get like sweaty. I got the meat sweats. I was like, oh gosh, I'm being put on the spot. I don't know why. What a dumb thing to get nervous about. Oh man. <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Manholes. Manholes <laughs> saving the world from sewage one large steel cylinder at a time. That's <laughs> more of a disc, but okay. Uh, Good point. It's definitely not a cylinder. <laughs> well, it I mean, is I guess actually. it's just an extremely it's a very thin narrow cylinder. Yeah, it's a very thin cylinder. I'm standing by my original. <laughs> you know what? Forget it. James Monroe did write the Federalist Papers, <laughs> and I'm not backing down. If I've learned anything from this president, it's to stick with your guns. And you don't need to use mortar to build a brick house. It's a conspiracy. This house, this this podcast is also brought to you by very thin cylinders. <laughs> like coins and and symbols. Uh, what else? I love the idea of when you're like, "Hey, um, how would you like to pay for this with uh, dollar bills or with those extremely thin cylinders? What are they called? What are they called? Oh man! I've and forgotten. of course, today's podcast is also brought to you by the IUPAC. The IUPAC. It's time to re-rename those elements, or just no. We don't want them at all anymore. We get, we printed a periodic table so many times, you can't just throw new elements at us. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by nervously looking at your phone when you're in a situation where you do not feel comfortable. Thank goodness that we have that now instead of like smoking a cigarette or just staring blankly at the sky like we used to have to. <laughs> uh, we also have a, a project for awesome donor, Sarah from St. Cloud, Minnesota, who wanted us to read this message to Jeanette. Jeanette, I'm so happy you've become a nerd fighter and I can share my excitement for all things nerd fighter with you. I didn't get to choose you being my sister, but you're my best friend and I would choose you to be my sister every day. Oh my God, That's I'm going to cry. Nice. I even forgive you for screaming and nearly giving me a heart attack when we saw the Turtles All the Way Down tour bus in St. Paul, which John kind of knows is not Minneapolis, DFTBA. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, if I've learned anything in the last six months, it's that St. Paul is not Minneapolis and James Monroe did not write any Federalist papers. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you're learning stuff, John. Just moving through the world, making sure you know things about things. Oh, man. I mean, I... You just, you love that moment at the beginning of an event in a room full of people where you can say like, hello, Minneapolis. And it's just met by absolute <laughs> silence because and people from St. Paul, Minnesota are extremely polite. And then a pause and then one person saying, St. Paul. <laughs> so listen, your toilet is massively gross. Like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours, 
plus the tablets are plastic-free, Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blueland products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank. For 15% off, that's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. This next question comes from Kenya, who asks, Dear Hank and John, if I fill a pool with water, how long would it take for the pool to be made entirely of new water molecules, assuming that I am adding new water when the pool gets low from evaporation? I asked my boyfriend, and he told me that this wouldn't ever happen or be measurable because of the rate at which water molecules move, but I don't like that answer. Please help, Kenya. I like it. I like when you don't like an answer, you're just like, I'm going to appeal to a higher authority, these podcast guys. Right, who are experts in water evaporation. So it's a smart podcast to reach out to, too. You don't want to go to your local water evaporation podcast. You need to go to something broader. Yeah. My assumption, Hank, is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you're filling the... I I would say never. It definitely is not never. So in the long, long term, if you're filling from a... Like, just eventually what will happen, and I'm talking about you know, on geological scales here, is that uh, as the water evaporates, it will leave behind minerals, like all the ions and stuff that are dissolved in the water. It's going to leave that behind, and it's going to start coating the side of the pool until finally, eventually, you're long dead by this point, but the pool is just full of salts, of just, like, magnesium and fluoride and sodium chloride and all, all this stuff. Uh, so yeah, you're gonna you're gonna end up with that with that you're just a pool full of like chalky powders, uh, crystalline somethings. But uh, before that happens, before significantly before that happens, the last molecule that was originally in the pool will evaporate, and that is a thing that you can only determine statistically, um, and you will never actually know when that happens. Also, this would be uh, this would change dramatically based on where the swimming pool is, what the temperature is, what the ambient humidity is. Uh, so if like obviously if it's like a pool in Arizona where it's very dry and hot, it would happen much faster than if it was in like Seattle where it's cold and wet. So yeah, um, that is the answer to your question. We don't know, but eventually there would be no original water molecules left. And eventually it would be so full of ionic salts that you wouldn't be able to put any new water in. Wow, that's kind of mind-blowing. Speaking of that, Hank, have you ever been to the Bonneville Salt Flats in northwestern Utah? No. It is a subject of uh, the next episode of my podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed. And I was there a couple weeks ago, and it is astonishing. It's otherworldly. Part of the big scene on the white planet in The Last Jedi was filmed Mm -hmm. there. And you can really feel it. It looks and feels nothing like Earth to me. It was so surreal to be surrounded by that much salty ground that was once 500 feet under salty water. Weird and cool. I would love. Yeah, I would love to check. It's that worth out. the trip. Uh, plus, nearby is West Wendover, Nevada, which has a number of excellent casinos. Uh, well, you know me. I hate that 
a lot. Oh, I know. It's so I, I, I really wish that, that we could share the incredible pleasure of three card poker at a casino, but we're just never going to be able to. No, it will be you enjoying yourself and me feeling as if my very uh, the structure of my identity is being torn apart. Tiny piece by tiny piece, like every card that comes down is just another piece of just straight anxiety trigger. I went to a casino with Hank once in Las Vegas, and he played a game called Casino War that might have the worst odds of any <laughs> table game. Yeah. And it's basically you draw a card, and the dealer draws a card, and whoever's card is higher wins the money, except like there's a lot of ways that the dealer yeah. is advantaged. But Hank won on his only bet, and then he looked at me, and he was like, I think that's, I'm good. <laughs> That's that's how I feel about, like, in general, I feel like the point of casinos is not to win money, but to win at all. And so if I'm up, I'm like, why would I keep doing this? I beat the casino. I made 50 cents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, that is not my worldview. <laughs> it's just, oh, God, I do not like gambling. Uh, I mean, it, it, the I think the mayor of West Wendover, Nevada, came up to me at the end of my stay and said, "Sir, you're welcome here any time." Oh no, God! Not no. really, but it was like that. <laughs> he could have. Oh God! This next question comes from Easton, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, I have a problem. Until recently, I thought I had a normal name. Problem is, I realized that my name is cursed." About a month ago, I was writing my name, and it seemed strange as I looked at it in detail. My full name is Easton Gunner Lane. But when you say it, it sounds like I'm telling somebody directions. Like, go east on Gunner Lane. All of my friends have now realized this and can't stop nagging me about it. How should I deal with it? Should I embrace it and be proud of it or change it like the MMA situation? Dubious advice is, uh, dubious advice is requested, as always. I was almost named Weston Easton. Wow. It would have well, also been exactly the same problem. I, I just don't think Easton sounds like East on. No, yeah. I, I think that uh, I think this is fine. I actually had a friend who was in a very similar situation who was raised her whole life, had no idea that her name was Amanda Lynn, like Amanda Lynn, the instrument. Oh, and she yes. like found this out in high school. <laughs> Like somebody was like, oh, like that's clever. And she was went to her parents and she was like, did you do this on purpose? And they were like, yeah. And she did. She went through 16 years of her life not knowing that. They did do it on purpose. Yeah, they did it on purpose. I don't think that Easton's parents necessarily did. No, I, Easton, in this situation, I would just say to my friends, like, I'm sorry, but my name doesn't sound anything like East on Gunner Lane. My name is Easton Lane. And yeah. just let it go. Definitely do not change your name. Love your name. I love having a name that's a little bit different. And even if it is a little bit of a pun, that's okay. The, it's, it's okay for your, your name to also have this alternate identity as a, uh, as a fun little dad joke. Yeah, and Easton, it's so nice to have a Googleable name, you know, that only belongs to you. Mm -hmm. The way that Hank Green does and John Green doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Poor John Green. My parents really figured out that that was, that was the wrong call. Well, they couldn't have foreseen Google, of course, <laughs> to be fair to them. <laughs> if, if only they had foreseen Google, given you a more Googleable name, and also invested $1,000 in the company in the first year. That would, have, that would right. have all been good for us. Yeah. No, then we would have been lucky. Yeah. But as it is, Hank, oh, how we've suffered. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're in no position to complain. Oh, no, yeah. All right, Hank, let's answer one more question before we get to the all-important news from Mars and incredible, shocking, overwhelming, tear-jerking news from AFC Wimbledon. Uh, the question comes from Jamie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, occasionally on the pod, John will say something extremely bleak, like that he has abandoned optimism. And though it sounds earnest and sad and serious to me, Hank will be laughing the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't generally have problems interpreting tones, so what's going on here? Is it an impossibly dry joke? Is Hank laughing at John's pain? Does Hank laugh to stave off yes. the sting of Nile? Yes, the last I am in anguish one. over this, <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> it's I am, the last one. I, the last one. I am laughing as partially a defense mechanism and partially because I want it to sound like John's making a joke because I don't want people to, to, to be sucked into his hole of nihilism. I want to have there be laughter, the soundtrack of laughter to make it seem as, as if it isn't all terrible and and you should and the abandonment of optimism is in fact just a, a little joke John's making when in fact I don't think it is uh, on some level it is an extremely dry joke because I really do believe as one of my core like really my only core belief the only thing that I'm I think I'm sure of is that hope is correct and that hope is true and that hope is the way to approach mm-hmm consciousness and life and everything else and so i am on some level kidding whenever i say like oh i'm abandoning optimism because of this or that that said like it is true that i'm always and i think lots of people like like lots of people i'm always battling against nihilism i'm always trying to lean against it i always feel it closing in on me and so i think part of why hank laughs honestly is that he's been hearing me me say this and struggle with it since he was like three (laughs) (laughs) i should i should write some short stories about about young john oh please god don't Please don't. That would that would. I mean, if you want to really mess up our relationship, that's <laughs> that would be a great way to do it. Okay, I'll think about it. Hank, what's the news from Mars, or or should we get straight to the incredible news from AFC Wimbledon? Uh, let's do the news from Mars first, since it's since it's okay. a, less exciting, maybe. Um, so SpaceX is working on its gigantic rocket, the BFR, stands for Big Big Falcon Rocket. Probably might stand for something else, depending on <laughs> depending on who you ask. Uh, and the Big Falcon is going to be uh, capable of getting to Mars. It's going to be one of the biggest rockets ever developed. It is a massive, cool thing, and they have uh, figured out probably where they're going to be making it. So uh, you need a lot of space to make a big rocket, but you also need to be able to move it to where it's gonna end up being. So sometimes that means you assemble it like very close by, and then you uh, and then you 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 basically have a vehicle that its only job is to move this one rocket. Um, and then sometimes it means that you want to make it somewhere where there's easy access to a port where you can put it on a boat and you can take it anywhere, basically like mm. any any of a number of places. Um, and that is the way that, that SpaceX wants to do it, so that they can launch from multiple locations, um, potentially, you know, like in, in the SpaceX's like long-term vision from dozens of places all over the, the world. Um, they want to be manufacturing this thing at the port of Los Angeles, which is kind of a nuts decision to me, because, and, and of course, lots of decisions that SpaceX has made have seemed nuts to me, but turned out to be good decisions. But because... It takes a lot of space to make a rocket, uh, a big rocket, and 
usually you would want to do that where land is cheap and the port of LA is not a place where land is cheap. So they're right. going to be leasing land at the port, assembling the rocket there. And of course that's nice for the employees who can then live in a city instead of in the middle of nowhere. But, uh, you know, uh, Mayor Garcetti just announced that this was happening in his state of the city speech that they're leasing part of the port of LA to SpaceX to, to assemble the BFR. And uh, that'll mean maybe faster uh, production, faster moving the rocket from the place where it gets made to the place where it's going to launch from. And uh, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, I, I think the kind of aggressive decision that the a person who wants to get to Mars before 2028 would make. <laughs> Does it feel to you like there is any real possibility that this BFR will be sending anything to Mars before 2028. Yeah. No, actually, it seems very likely to me that um, either the BFR or a Falcon Heavy will be taking a payload to Mars before 2028. That payload will not include humans, but we're, we got we got to cross our fingers that e- Elon's doing his doing his thing and and Boeing's doing its thing and all and NASA's doing its thing. But you know, you know how it is. I I mean, I know targets. what our podcast is going to be called in 2028. <laughs> That's what I know. <laughs> The, new, the news from AFC Wimbledon, Hank. Oh, my gosh. So as we're recording this, uh, it's three days after AFC Wimbledon's game against Walsall. It was a game. It wasn't a game that Wimbledon had to win exactly, but it was a game that if Wimbledon didn't win, it, it became, became difficult to see how we were not going to get relegated. Uh, it, it would have put a lot of mm-hmm. pressure on us. And at halftime, we were down 2-0. And I, I will remind you that Wimbledon has not come from behind this season. <laughs> Period. Oh, <wow. laughs> Hard stop. So it looked very bad uh, at halftime. I stopped watching the broadcast on my iFollow app and started listening to Radio WDON because I literally could no longer bear to look directly at the thing. And what happened in the second half is that Lyle Taylor won a penalty and then kicked the penalty, which was saved. But Joe Piggott managed to get the ball in the back of the net on the rebound. And then it was 2-1. And then Lyle Taylor scored a fantastic half volley off of a very long kick from our goalkeeper, George Long. And then it was 2-2. And this is a critical moment, Hank. It's 2-2 in this game. Wimbledon have just come from behind from 2-0 down to tie the game 2-2. And they're Celebrating, All the players are celebrating except for Captain Barry Fuller. You can go and watch the highlights on YouTube and see what I'm talking about. The captain of the club, Barry Fuller, while everyone else is celebrating, he picks up the ball and starts running back uh, to the center of the pitch as if to say, like, that's great that we came from 2-0 down to tie 2-2, but what we need to do is win this game. Mm-hmm. And it looked like Wimbledon weren't going to win. And then in the 95th minute, in the last minute of stoppage time, Lyle Taylor was taken down in the box by a Walsall player. That meant that there was a penalty kick. Dean Parrott, who was injured for much of the season, stepped up to take the penalty kick. Absolutely 
snookered the ball into the <laughs> top left corner. It was a heck of a penalty. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't kick penalties that well under a huge amount of pressure. Last kick of the game, AFC Wimbledon come from 2-0 down to win 3-2. Uh, and that takes them from 46 points to 49 points, three points away from what has every year for the last 20 years been enough points to stay in League One. Unfortunately, because of the how tight the table is, it's possible that this year 52 points won't be enough. So AFC Wimbledon have four games left in their season. They need to win at least one of those games or get three draws probably to stay up, but they may need uh, even more than that. So huge end of the season coming up, but that win against Walsall, I mean, it re- it if, if we stay up this season, we're going to look back at that moment as the moment that made it possible. I... I wept. I was, I, I could not control my emotions after, after that comeback. It's just been, it's been such a difficult season. And, you know, we've been down in those relegation spots or near them for almost the entire season. And to get that win when it was most critical, it just oh, felt amazing. Yay. Well, um, that's great news, and I'm very, I'm, I'm very excited for you guys to stay up in, in League One. I hope that that happens. Is that the kind of thing that if it happens, it'll be easier next year? Is it easier second year than first year? Well, it'll be the third year next year if we stay up. Oh. Uh, well, no, it doesn't. It, yeah, yeah. The the playoff final was two years ago. It, it. I agree. It's gone so fast, Hank. I feel the same way. <laughs> But yeah, it'll be our third season in, in League One. It 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 doesn't get easier is the short answer. I mean, we'll we'll continue to do our best. Uh, hopefully, there will be a little bit more resources. That we had a nice third round FA Cup tie at at Wembley against Tottenham, which hopefully you know will 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 be enough of a payday that there's going to be a little bit more money in the budget next season. But there's already a lot. Uh, pretty, it's pretty clear that Lyle Taylor is going to move to a team in the mm. second tier of English football oh, no. next season, and that. I mean, where do the goals come from? Yeah, because they've all come from Lyle. <laughs> so, I, of course, you can't you can't tell tell a player you know not to not to move up a, a league when he has the opportunity to do so. Yeah. Uh, so, I, if I mean, what what Lyle Taylor said last week really stuck with me. He said, I, "We this team isn't going to go down not on my watch," and he clearly understands that. Uh, you know his his Wimbledon time is is coming to an end, but he wants to make sure that uh, Wimbledon doesn't go down on his watch, and I I really appreciate that. So it's exciting, it's terrifying. I have to say, Hank, I really appreciated your tweets. The fact that uh, you you've been following the <laughs> the last few games of the season has meant a lot to me, and and uh, I, I know lots of people out there in Nerdfighteria are following along too. So thank you, and uh, hopefully. Hopefully we're going to uh, uh, scrape out enough points to stay in League One. All right, John, it is time, I think, to determine if we can determine each other's phrases of the week. Great. I didn't use mine. Oh. But I used it last week. So, and we talked count. about it extensively. And so you should totally be able to get it. Is it the DC Universe? <laughs> nope. It's not the DC Character Universe. It was... The bee's knees. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was, though. I'm sorry I forgot to use it. I, I'm so bad at the phrase of the week. Yeah. I lose the phrase of the week, I even gave obviously. you a reminder halfway through. I, 
I want to apologize to all my friends and family and also to James Monroe and James Madison. John, and you just a- talked about the freaking bee's knees of penalty kicks. You could have said it. I, I know. I just got so caught up in talking about the game. Anyway, I want to say thank you to Christina Meneses for giving me that phrase of the week that I used last week but failed to use this week. Hank, I have no idea what your phrase of the week oh, was. God, John, you're so bad at this. You didn't even pay attention. Okay, Hank, it took me a second, but I do definitely have a guess. Okay. I think it is one of the pet names that you suggested, <laughs> and I think it is manhole. No. No, but you're very it's close. Not- you're very close. It was in that section of the podcast. After I had to list all of the all of the pets, people will have identified this because it's a ridiculous phrase that, that was extremely hard to incorporate. <laughs> I said that I got sweaty, and I referred to that as having <laughs> the meat sweats. <laughs> it's funny because when you said that, I thought, I've never heard Hank say the meat sweats before, but I totally know what he's talking about. So yeah, whatever. I, to- I-, I let that slide by. Let me submit, by the way, that it is far weirder that you thought that an acceptable pet name was Manhole than it is that you said the meat sweats. Yeah, no, I think that I think that was a really good guess, John. Uh, and thank you to Brian Thompson for submitting the meat sweats. I'm so glad that I was able to slip it in. Right, great work, uh, Brian, and great work, Hank. Thank you for potting with me, Hank. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. We're off to record our hit podcast on Patreon. This Week in Ryan's, which you can get at patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. But don't worry, you can donate without getting our terrible This Week in Ryan's podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals, Rojas, and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're hearing right now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.